This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. Chef Alan Susser is widely acknowledged as one of the innovators of New World Cuisine, an innovative blending of American, Caribbean, and Latin flavors. His restaurant, Chef Alan's, and his cuisine have received many, many accolades. Among the honors is the James Veard Foundation, which recognized him as Best Chef in America in 1994. It's a pleasure to have Alan on The Literary Life, and I'll explain in a minute why we are having Alan on The Literary Life. But before I do that, I also want to say that my personal relationship with Alan goes back a number of years. Uh, Many of you might know that we have cafes at a number of our uh, bookstores, and uh, on top of that, Alan and I are partners in the Cafe at Books and Books at the Performing Arts Center here in Miami, which is called the Adrian Arsh Center. And I've known Alan to be one of the really, really important voices for sustainable cooking that we have in the United States. I want to read something without embarrassing Alan too much by the great food writer John Mariani. This is what he says about Alan. I've known Alan Susser and followed his career with avid interest ever since back in the 1980s, when he and some young colleagues pioneered what was then called Floribian cuisine. And his new cookbook brings into 21st century focus everything he has learned and created in a new style now uniquely his own, one highly influential among his peers both in Florida and throughout the Caribbean. That new book that John is talking about is why Alan is on Literary Life, and that book is called Green Fig and Lionfish, Sustainable Caribbean Cooking. Alan, welcome. Well, a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Mitchell. So um, Mark Kurlansky, who we both know, who writes about food and among other things, says, Green Fig and Lionfish takes what we have learned from overfishing and uses it to help the ecosystem Truly a book for our times. Tell us about, so many people don't know anything about lionfish, and what was the impetus and the beginning of your interest in lionfish, and why you were moved to write a book about it? Well, first off, let me first suggest to you that lionfish is delicious. Okay, so this is a delicious fish, but it also is an invasive species, which means it's a danger to our environment here in Florida, as well as throughout the Caribbean. And one of the things that I I have been a big proponent of and work with is getting people to understand what sustainable seafood is. To understand that we want fresh fish, we want fish available, the diverse numbers of wonderful fish available for eating for our generation, for our kids, for their grandkids and their grandkids. And quite honestly, if we don't pay attention to how we fish and what we fish and what we do to our water and sustain the quality of the environment, 
we're going to be in trouble with our food supply and fish specifically. And not just us that we want to take a look at fish as something, well, it's a nice thing to have. One third of the world needs this volume of fish to survive. So the need for a good fresh protein is so important. And so lionfish is one example of how sustainable seafood is being threatened by the the reefs that they they eat off of which is the florida reefs all of the caribbean how, how was how did lionfish come to be how did it become so invasive well it was a mistake it, it lives in the indian ocean and it has its own enemies there and kind of the food cycle works there it got transported here into miami probably in by someone's fish tank it's ornamental saltwater fish which is a beautiful fish uh and it got dumped into the ocean and from that ocean exposure, it started to grow. And it started here actually in Dania Beach, of all places, the first site. Dania Beach just north of <laughs> just, Yeah, exactly. So they say it came out of probably some of the, the drug lords of the, the 80s, all the fast and furious money that was going on, who had money for $200 ornamental fish. And they got tossed out because they're eating all of the fish in their expensive tanks. So they got tossed. And they mature very quickly they have millions of eggs a year and so that it started to to grow and it started to grow into a, a problem because these fish eat all the other fish on the reef they eat all the other fish and they multiply and they travel and so they've gone out to the bahamas and onto the next island and now in 20 years it's all over the entire Caribbean. Are they still off the coast of Florida? Yes, as they well? are absolutely off the coast of Florida, from Key West all the way up to Jacksonville, because the 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 weather, the the temperature of the the water here is. So exactly the good news that. about lionfish is that they are good to eat. Exactly. So the way to control <laughs> it is to eat them. Eat them to beat them. <laughs> we, we have to get rid of them because, again, on the sustainability, they'll eat all the fish on the reef. If they eat all the fish on the reefs, they destroy the reefs, which protect our coastline. Also, the fish, the way fishing works is that the bigger fish eat the little fish. So if they lose their fish to eat, there won't the next size fish and the next size fish will start to disappear as well. And we eating up the, the food line is bad news. And if we, we are their have, natural enemies. We're only in natural enemies. I mean, with evasive species, you cannot bring another natural enemy in because then you're 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 left and right and you don't know where to stop the, the cycle. Well, the other thing is that they are very prickly in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> Well, they're beautiful fish, and they are venomous, so that the, the back of their tail has some venom in it, which will sting you uh, if you're swimming with them. If you get it from a, a fishmonger, they'll remove the, the, the venom, and it's not a problem. So it gets filleted, and it gets cooked just like any other regular fish. But they're caught differently because of that. Yes, they're right? spearfished because they're on the reef. So there, it's not that you can hook and line them and you can't net them. So it's all spear fishing. So it's really all fresh. So it's very labor really intensive yes. to do that. Does that raise the price of the lionfish? You'd be of surprised that? how reasonable the price of lionfish is. I was just at the, the store uh, at Whole Foods uh, to, to buy some. And it was very inexpensive for, for fish. I mean, it's a bargain right now because they're trying to introduce it. And again, I, I find that 
with almost anything with food. If you create a demand, they'll find a way to get it to you. So is lionfish something that can be found all over the country now as well? Is it Not yet. Not yet. Not so yet. is it mostly yeah. in the southeast? It's the southeast and all through the Gulf of Mexico, all the states that uh, border the Gulf of Mexico. And the Caribbean. Right, and totally the Caribbean. And so with this book also, with Green Fig and Lionfish, what I'm suggesting is it's not only about lionfish, it's about applying any fresh good caught sustainable fish to that so you can do the same recipe with mahi you could do the same recipe with snapper you could do the same thing with you know almost any of these other fish in the same style because what the recipes are actually written seasonally so there's some recipes for summer fall winter and spring so that kind of going through the year you can pick the ingredients that are in the farmer's market. You can pick the ingredients that are available locally uh, and, and cook any fish. And I'm suggesting cooking fish that's fresh in the market that day. So don't kill yourself about getting finding lionfish. If you can, that's awesome because it's a delicious fish. But otherwise, getting a, a fish and cooking So it. these recipes could be used with a number of different kinds of fish. So green fig and lionfish is um is a recipe book for sustainable seafood exactly as well. it's the bigger picture right and the focus is on lionfish as the opportunity uh to kind of get at this problem fish no and and what's remarkable to me is that you 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 shine a light on something that most people have never heard of right before you were telling me about this uh, before this book was published, I really knew nothing about lionfish, and I've right. lived here my whole yeah. life in Miami. And so it's not getting the attention that it probably deserves no. as an invasive species. I no, guess. exactly. And and quite honestly, the invasive species is an issue because there are other invasive species uh, throughout the, you know, in Florida and around the world. And so that that's the sort of contamination that that happens and we have to figure out how to to deal with these species without hurting the rest of the environment this is a gorgeous gorgeous book with uh, a chock full of photographs uh, wonderful commentary by a a alan photographs of places in the caribbean uh photographs of the dishes you know lionfish with malabar spinach pesto Thai basil baked lionfish, um, lionfish ceviche with mango and lime. Yeah, sounds amazing. They're awesome recipes. And actually, what I did is, uh, you know, I'm very collaborative with other chefs. And so I invited other chefs to join me in the book. And I got recipes from Eric Repair, from Jose Andreas, from uh, Sam Choi, from Cindy Paulson. Uh, so, chefs from all over the country that kind of recognize that we have to make choices in our food supplies. And so they were really on board. They're, they're wonderful recipes within the book, and having them add their voice to the, the book has really been important for me. Let's talk about you for a second. You, uh, I've known you, you know, before we even worked together as a bookseller 30 years ago when you were publishing uh alan was the king of mangoes for a long time <laughs> sure and published some remarkable books on mangoes and introduced mangoes into the cuisine of 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 uh of florida at the time it was the mango gang right yes was, uh, exactly who were some of the others uh norman uh van aiken and mark Melitello and uh robin haas and 
So we, we kind of all cook differently, but I think what we similarly, we were cooking at the same time. This was this, in the early 80s. This is in the, the mid 80s, yeah, mid 80s. And what we're doing is using tropical fruits, Latin root vegetables, Caribbean spices, and kind of each coming at that approach, but cooking here in what was modernizing South Florida. And so it was a very exciting time, uh, and, and kind of mangoes were just dropping. This place was seizing with mangoes, and so that that really became our our, our mantra, you know. And uh, so and we you all had the mango gang, and you all had restaurants. We all had independent restaurants. Chef so. Allen's was Allen's restaurant, and uh, it was legendary. And um, um, that was a place that it was a must-stop place here in Miami. And as I said earlier, Alan won the James Beard Award in the early 90s. And he continues among all of these chefs to walk the walk when it comes to developing other kinds of restaurants that take farm-to-table, locally sourced uh, foods and incorporating them into into the mission of the restaurant. Yeah. Well, it's important, you know, a restaurant is about the community. And just like with you in the bookstore and how, how you connect to the community, I think that's why you and I connect oh, I love so well, fact. is because yeah. we, we connect to our community, to the people. All I want to do is make people happy and make them smile from the food that right. I cook, just as you want to suggest a book and, and have them come back and you're like, oh my God. That no, it's awesome very, thing. you know, in our, in our main store in <laughs> Carl Gables, we have a bookstore cafe that yeah. is equal bookstore and equal cafe. And um, it's just such a great high to watch people browsing books and then sitting down and having uh, a great meal. Um, and it's something which, uh, I think makes me understand, made me understand early on that the thing that makes a great independent bookstore is also what makes a great restaurant. And that is serving the community, bringing people together, and creating one of those great third spaces where they feel comfortable being. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me about how you got involved in the whole world of being a restaurateur and a chef. Well, probably start with my grandmother. Uh, I always used to be at her side, seeing her cook, being a part of the, the big family that, that we had in Brooklyn. We grew, I grew up in Brooklyn and kind of loved that. And I just loved food. And so that early on, I, I went to culinary school, went off to Paris to, to cook and I lived in Paris and saw a whole different world of Did culture. Did you go to school? Was it school in Paris I did. As well? I went to the Cordon Bleu in Paris and wow. worked at the Bristol Hotel and, uh, it was an amazing experience to, you know, A, be a foreigner and get my butt kicked too uh, by, by the French chefs. But uh, it was just fresh ingredients, seasonal ingredients, really wonderful cooking. And so that the, the cooking was, was absolutely great, uh, the flavors. And, you know, it's interesting because back then when I had started, the French said you had to be a French chef. And I believed them, as I think most everyone did. But today we, we sort of look at, well, what about the other 8, 10 billion people? Don't they cook and don't they eat and enjoy? And so that recognizing the, you know, that there's great diversity in food and great influences of local ingredients. And, but the, what I learned in, in Paris still sticks this day. 
Did you meet lots of chefs along the way? Oh, for sure. Uh, Paul Bocuse, uh, was, was really one of my, uh, was idol, uh, that cooking in the eighties, going to, to Lyon and seeing him in, in his restaurant, uh, seeing how he really took it very seriously and hospitality as well as culinary drive and creativity. Julia Child was another one of my favorites. I really got to be very friendly with her and she was an amazing person. Uh, Julia just loved to see real food and real people and connect to people. And, you know, I took her stone crab fishing down here in Miami. Did and, you really? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. Did uh, she pull and, off any of the claws? Oh, she and did. She And she cracked them and she, you know, we all got dirty just, you know, s- sucking the, the meat out of the, the stone crabs. But she was full of life and full of you know the the food enjoyment and so that that i really dug about being with her well you came up right as chef as personality was developing right. as well yeah. so name some of yeah. some of the other people that i love those stories tell me yeah. more <laughs> okay uh jacques papin also a really wonderful uh french to the hilt and all about technique but i'll tell you what he, he does really well daniel Ballou, uh also uh he i worked at le cirque for a couple of years where he gained his uh fame uh and we worked together a couple of times uh, there and you know i i think that a lot of the experiences of the community and cooking with chefs has come at being doing charitable events and well i being know a that part you of that. you have a huge you're you're one of the founders of share our strength, share strength our which strength. is raised money for no kid hungry where right. you know what we're trying to do is make sure kids have the opportunity to be fed well so that they can grow healthy go to school learn and meet their potential and, and one that's of the, about food and one of the biggest fundraisers happens at the super bowl each year, yes right? yeah and the super bowl is in miami this it year is, so it'll yeah. even be that much more special this is for a you this is third time super bowl is coming here to miami that we're doing taste the nfl and uh i go represent the miami dolphins and cook a very significant uh dish that's going to be a, a lot of fun that's kind of miami flavored i think uh, you're the yeah. most fun about the miami <laughs> dolphins this year for sure yeah <laughs> we need to be happy about it right <laughs> well i i i also want to say that as someone who's been working with books and books now for so many years one of the highlights of what we do is something called our farm-to-table meals. Right. And every Monday, we have a farm-to-table meal at the cafe at Books and Books. And talk a little bit about the philosophy of what, why that's so important. What, what's great about the farm-to-table dinner, that uh, our Monday night dinners at the Yarsh at Books and Books, is that it's farm, farm-driven. We want to support our local farmers. It's actually, we have a farmer's market out on the corner of 13th and Biscayne. And each Monday, I go and talk with the the farmers and I also buy their ingredients for the dinner. So each Monday is a different theme depending on as the the days go on through what they're bringing in and what they're cooking. And we set up, it's a five-course community dinner. It's a communal table, big plaza food, 
and we we kind of share the experience i really talk about food and talk about the the influences of each of the recipes and it's it's a grand time because people get to not only eat together but they meet new people there and it brings the community together it's in the all, middle of the city it's all about community in yeah. a city like miami yeah. we need those opportunities exactly. to be able to meet one another yeah. uh what's it like um uh, being involved in a bookstore cafe, I know that's something different than what you did before. What is the what is that like? For you know, I, I love being uh, involved with the, the cafes and being at that it's a bookstore because I, I find that the the people that uh, come to the bookstore that come to books and books are well rounded, exciting, interesting people, and they care about the things that they read. They care about the things that they eat. And but it's a very relaxed atmosphere, so it's kind of they're they're here, they're enjoying, they're in a place that's kind of safe and fun and a little bit laid back. And whether they're coming in for a great cup of coffee and a dessert, or glass of wine, yeah, or a, a glass of wine, or lunch, or coming to see an author, yeah, you know. So that what I love about the cafe here is there's always interesting people coming in and out. There's Authors that are coming in, and uh, I also find that I yeah. pinch myself when I yeah. <laughs> I see a group eating. You know, book groups come in and they'll book one of the tables just yeah. to be able to, you know, talk about books and eat at the same time. Yeah. It's you know the the only thing that I'm waiting for is a few people to come on in and plot a revolution. <laughs> That's <laughs> well, the, we may have started the, that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, the great Viennese cafes where right. people would come in and talk about ideas and get into fights about philosophy. But, but there is that there is that great feeling in these bookstore cafes, and they've taken off throughout the country. I mean, True. you know, uh, one of the things that gave me the idea of this bookstore cafe was when I was uh, many, many years ago living in D.C., and there was this place called Kramer Books and Afterwards, which is still around, and they were just starting. And I remember thinking, wow, what a great combination of these things. Uh, And now you see it all over in all different permutations. There's a friends of mine have a a bookstore in Arizona where it's just a bar. It's called Mm -hmm. First Draft. It's a bar and a cafe. Um, you know, politics and prose in DC. There are just so it's many. It's a of natural these combination. It's a it's complete a, yeah. natural com- yes. combination. Let's get back to lionfish for a minute. I know that you have a relationship with a Caribbean island and a place in the Caribbean island right. where they do a lot of fishing for it. Yeah, this is uh, Saint Lucia, and uh, the resort that I consult for there is called Jade Mountain. We have a thirty-acre organic farm. Uh, so that uh, all of the food for the the resort comes from our farm. All the fish comes from the sea of the the Caribbean. And so that uh, lionfish really matters out there because, uh, you know, it's going to hurt the reefs that people come for for vacation and for actual fishing. There, the next three villages around the the resort are all fishing villages, mm. small son and dad sort of things out on day boats, fishing or netting, and really slow pace kind of real real life. And so that these lionfish are going to affect their daily life. And so that with the the resort, we actually do a lionfish dinner on a Friday night where we the divers come diving get the fish, we cook it, and we have a beach party 
eating a, the lionfish. And it's really a great party, but it's also informational. Uh, and and it, it's really uh, just a, a great thing to, to see that we're, we're making a difference in the, the, the environment in the right fashion, to take a step in the, the right direction, to protect our waterways, to care about the water that they're, they're getting their fish out of. Uh, and the resort is, is awesome. Uh, Can the average person who fishes fish for lionfish? Yeah, or do you have to be a diver and snorkel? There, there. Yeah, you can snorkel. So if you snorkel on the reefs, uh, it's really easy uh, to to grab them. You poke them with a a little, uh, you know, uh, spear, and they're not fast. If someone does catch one, are they hard to clean? I guess. Does okay. the book talk about that at all? About I, I, I go over the exact way to clean the lionfish and how to be careful because they are venomous. They have some spines in the back uh, that do carry some venom and it will sting you, not kill you. But uh, so, but it's easy as any other fish to fillet, uh, peel and skin, and then you cook it. It's a delicious fish, a white flesh fish and ceviche or a smoked fish dip or... Uh, you know, so let's say you're living in Chicago mm-hmm. and you want to you want to cook in lionfish. You should just go to your uh, fish purveyor and yeah. say, "I want some lionfish." Exactly, and they'll so, probably get it for you. Yeah, so we need to start that uh, trend so that we can get some of these fish out of our backyard. Right, and, and that's really what I found with uh, most food. If you, as a consumer, ask for it at the counter. Uh, they'll start, and they start to hear that there's a want for sustainable seafood, that you're asking about fresh fish or you're asking about lionfish in particular. They'll start to ask their vendors where to get lionfish. It reminds me, you know, a lot of people don't really, me included, understand just what makes something, just what makes a fish sustainable. Is it that we haven't overfished it? Is it that it, you know, is it that the eating of it allows something else to happen in the ecosystem? That's a good question. So sustainable seafood, there, there's a lot of effects to the, the sustainable seafood. Sustainable seafood is we're not overfishing. So there's certain regulations and times of year and sizes of fish uh, so that they're allowed to mature and have eggs and and grow not overfishing also seasonality of it so that sometimes there's fishes that are in season and out but also there's bycatch and making sure that if you know the way that they're catching there's certain types of methods and technologies that we've gotten so good at fishing that we've probably pulled out more fish in the past 50 years than we have in the past 500 Mm -hmm. years because we fish with sonar and radar and helicopter and dredging the 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 bottom of the ocean and so that this really kind of has to stop a little bit and we have to sort of like take a step back and not overfish the community because we can kill a whole species and if we do that we lose the diversity and that's really something we want to we want to make sure these fish don't disappear from and, our environment and that's what a about what about the effect of climate change and all climate change absolutely has an effect i mean the water temperature the lionfish itself is limited to water temperature cool, warmer than 50 degrees. Hmm. So that if the waters warm up, it's going to expand up the Carolinas, Georgia, and the Carolinas. So, And the same thing with every other species. So 
the the water temperature, the water depth, the, the volume of water coming, the acidity of the water, red tide, algae, all of these things are affecting our fresh seafood. And that's really the, why we, we really have to be careful about the environment. I know you have a relationship with the aquarium in California. Monterey Bay Aquarium. The Monterey Bay Aquarium. Yes. And I remember visiting there many, many years ago, even before sustainability became so popular. And they had those little cards that they would give yes. you as to what fish were okay to eat and what fish were not. Um, do they have a website that people can go to in order they to do. find the Monter out? The Monterey Bay Aquarium has a, a website uh, and an app, as everyone else has. And I'll tell you, when you go to the restaurant uh, or to the fish market, what fish are sustainable? what fish are, are not, so you can sort of guide yourself. And I think one of the best things to, to recognize when you're a, a consumer going in is to ask for sustainable seafood. Right. And that sustainable seafood does not mean it has to be fresh. It can be also frozen seafood. There's sustainable practices and frozen seafood, which is perfectly fine. And coming from a chef, it's like, oh, my yeah, God, you know, what are you saying? But the technology on freezing is awesome right now. And so you can have a really good frozen piece of fish that's caught sustainably, which is much better than getting a fresh piece that is not. How about stone crabs? Are we okay with those? No. I hate we're to not. say it. We're not. What's happening? They just went on the red list, which is a no-no for the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And is that right? This year. And that's because of red tide. It's because of the hurricanes and how it's kicked up the, the, the grounds and also the, the green algae uh, blooms that, that are coming. And it's, it's a mess. So the, and the, the red worst thing. Are they asking us not to eat them? Exactly. They're asking us to avoid. The word is avoid them till they can grow back. So we also have to change our fishing regulations because a few years ago, we, allowed, we now allow fishermen to pull both claws off the stone crab which for the past 100 years of stone crabbing, it used to be one claw. And so now we've let them be defenseless out there, and the volume of demand on stone crab and the pressure on the environment has really caused that. So here's another example of a fishing industry that's going to crash if we don't take care of the stone crab and we don't stop for and control ourselves for a few years, let it come back, and in a few years, we can, because that's the beauty of nature. It does grow back. It does mend itself if we don't bring it down to a depletion of disastrous right. proportions. What dawns on me is that, you know, stone crabs is something that maybe a lot of our listeners have no idea what we're talking right. about. <laughs> it's something that is very, very um, uh, endemic to South yeah. Florida. Uh, Joe's Stone Crab as a restaurant I think is the highest grossing restaurant in the world right now. And they primarily sell stone crabs nine months out of the year. Um, but I think, and I bet that in each small community or in each community, there's probably a fish that is in the same danger zone yeah. for that's regional that is having the same yeah. kind of problem. We've seen the same thing with striped bass. We've seen it with blue cod crabs, well. cod. Yeah. So all of these fish from time to time do run into this danger zone. And if we don't go to the precipice, if we don't go to the edge, it'd be much smarter. And that's why diversification of the fish that we eat is part of what sustainability is, not eating the same fish day in and day out. Uh, you know, there are good farms and farmers, 
farming uh, sustainably also makes a difference of no hormones, no growth, no growth hormones, no antibiotics, uh, not overcrowding, watching you know how the, the water is being treated. So all of these things are, are an effect on the environment of how the fish grows. Well, in this holiday season, everyone should go out and do themse- give themselves either a treat for themselves or as a gift. Anybody who's a cook, Anybody who's into sustainability, Chef Alan Susser's Green Fig and Lionfish is the book to get. The subtitle is Sustainable Caribbean Cooking. I just want to end with a quote that I'm going to read and a quote that I want you to read. The quote that I'm going to read comes from the great Jose Andreas, who so many people know, uh, has been doing so much humanitarian work. uh, cooking oh, for people great. in Puerto Rico and in storm-ravaged areas. He's just been the sort Bahamas, of... This the Bahamas this past year. What he did for the Bahamas yeah. is amazing. So he writes, Chef Allen has always been a champion of local seasonal cooking, even before it was cool. With this cookbook, he is promoting something even cooler, the sustainability of the seas, one of our most important natural resources by giving us many amazing recipes for the damaging and delicious lionfish. Mm-hmm. That's from uh, Jose Andreas. And then, and then there's a really charming, charming dedication that you make that I'd like you to read. Because <laughs> okay. it really, it says everything about you and everything about people who love, love sure. cooking. So I, I dedicated this book, uh, and here's the, the dedication is, Dedicated to the generations of caring women in my life. My grandmother, Rose, my mother, Molly, wife, Judy, and my girls, Deanna and Liza, who helped me to understand how important it is for all of us to come together at the table. Beautiful. Alan, thank you you for being part of my literary life, and thank you for being on The Literary Life. I really appreciate it. Thank you. A pleasure, and thank you for the invite to, to share this book with you. 